0: There. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Martin. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, We are starting a brand new series today entitled Five Seasons And uh, I'm super stoked about this series because in this series itself, we're going to talk about the four stages of life, youth, adulthood, middle-aged, and old age. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend one week on each of those uh, four seasons of life. But we're also going to talk about a fifth season of life that we don't uh, think about very much. We don't talk about very much. It's the longest season there is, eternity. And I often think, you know, how much time um, do we spend in this life preparing only for this life and not thinking about the next life? And so week five of the series, we'll close it out and we'll talk about the fifth season, which is uh, eternity. Uh, our cornerstone scripture for the entire series is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, if you're familiar, Ecclesiastes is, is really a, a book of memoirs. It's, a, it's like a diary of an old man. Solomon had lived his life and experienced everything under the sun. And towards the end of his life, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. So Ecclesiastes 3.1 says this. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And so the stages of life that we're going to talk about can easily be compared to the four seasons, spring, summer, fall, and winter. Uh, Before we get into that, I want to take you to Psalm 90. It's It's a psalm that's written by Moses. And here's what Moses says, Psalm 90, verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or if even by reason of strength, 80. For their span is but toil and trouble, they are soon gone, and we fly away. So what Moses is saying here is that we live to be 70 or 80 years old if you're lucky. Uh, Now what we do know is that people are living longer these days. In 2020, the U.S. reported that the average American lifespan is 79.7 years, okay? And so we'll round up to 80. Now, those of you who are in here and you are over 80, that crowd was probably more likely to be here at the 9 o'clock service. But if you're here and you're over 80 years of of age, I, I want you to just pause for a second and consider how blessed you are. Um, Because we only get 70 to 80 years uh, here on this earth. And so, if the average person lives to be 80, we can divide life up into multiples of 20. And those are the four seasons of life. And so, today we'll talk about spring. Spring represents everybody that's in here that is either from birth to 20 years old. And then we'll talk about next week's summer. That's those of you in here are... who are 21 to 40 years of age, and that's adulthood. And then we'll talk about fall, which is middle age, 60, or I'm sorry, yeah, uh, 41 to 60 years of age. Uh, and then the, we'll talk about the last season of this physical life, which is winter, and that's 61 to 80 years old. Now, absolutely no offense to you if you're like 61 or 62, and you're like, why are you lumping me in with the old people, Uh, because I know we have, some of you are so old, you remember when the Dead Sea was just sick, um, right? (laughs) So we, uh, no disrespect to you, take it up with Moses, because this is how Moses has it broken down. And so this morning, we're going to talk about this first season of life, we're going to talk about springtime. Now in the Bible, spring always represents newness, it symbolizes A new beginning. So think about springtime for a minute. The trees, the plants, the fields, they begin to turn green. Flowers start to bud and then they bloom. Bugs emerge from their slumber. And all across the land, new life emerges. So let's go back to Ecclesiastes 3. And I want to read verse 1 again, but also the beginning of verse 2. Solomon says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. So those of you who are in here and you are 20 years of age or younger, you are in the springtime of your life. And Solomon writes, there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. Those of you who fall in that category are much closer to your birth than you are your death. And remember, let me remind you, spring signifies a time of newness. And so during the springtime of your life, I want you to kind of go back a few years, some of you maybe more than others, um, but but go back to the springtime of your life and and you realize you experienced a lot of firsts during this period of your life, right? Like your first words, your first steps, your first day of school, your first boyfriend or girlfriend, your first kiss, your, your first heartbreak, your first job your first day in college, this, everything seems to be new during this season. There's a lot of firsts. So just like springtime, our youth, when we are children and adolescents, it's filled with a lot of vibrant color. There's a lot going on. It's really just an awesome, awesome stage of life. So what I want you to do for just a second is I want you to try to go back to your childhood for a moment and remember that. Now, I'm going to share some pictures with you, and I'm going to tell you right out of the gate, these are pictures of me, uh, and this is not a, oh, look at me, I want to be the center of attention. This is, uh, I don't want to share pictures of you being young and old because uh, I can't make fun of you, but I can make fun of myself because I'm pretty comfortable in my own skin. So go back and think about childhood. Uh, this first picture is me as a child, all right? And, and, and I want you to remember when you were like that little for, for a minute. Do you remember how simple life was? Like, I didn't have the world's greatest childhood by any means, but I, I just remember being a child and just how easy it was. Like, the only thing on your mind, especially when it was summertime, was I'm going to play. And man, you would ju- we would just go out and you would just play. Every day was a new adventure. Uh, everything was new and exciting. And That's childhood. But then you get into your teenage years or your adolescent years, and that's when you might have have developed your first crush, right? And and so you get those butterflies in your stomach when you're around that special someone. Um, For me personally, uh, I'm number 12 if you're wondering. For, For me personally, I was in the best shape of my life during high school. I mean, I could run and jump. I could play basketball for like eight hours straight. Get up the next day and do it again. Now if I try to play for eight minutes, I can't walk the next day, right? Um, But during those teenage years, you start to develop some freedom. Uh, I remember getting my driver's license and and driving away for the first time. Just the incredible amount of freedom uh, that I was able to experience. My daughter, Reagan, will be 16 next month. And she'll, she's uh, on her birthday, we're going to get her driver's license. She's that excited about it. And I'm not scared. I'm not worried. I'm putting it in the Lord's hand. Uh, he'll either protect her or he won't. She'll, she'll die when it's her time to die. But I am excited. I'm excited for her uh, to experience that freedom that we all got to experience when we got our driver's license. All right. Some of you after high school went to work, but some of us went to college. This next picture is actually my first day at college, and I was not prepared for this. I was ready to go to college, but my mother and her mom, my grandma, dropped me off, and they started squalling and bawling and crying, and, and I was just like, I just want you to leave because uh, I'm free. I'm on my own, uh, and you got to get a load of that haircut uh, up close. Um, that was the 80s. I know mullets are kind of making a comeback, but I don't recommend them uh, at all. But you, you just have this newfound freedom. Everything coming your way during this stage of life is new. So I want you to think for just a second about those who are alive right now who are in this category in the spring of their lives. This is an entire category of people who were not alive or were at best just weeks old when 9/11 occurred. They have no firsthand recollection of the destruction and the devastation and the fear that racked all of our minds. This is a group of people who can download an entire playlist in seconds. They will never ever know the joy of making a mixtape. All right? <laughs> You remember these things and, and your cassette player would eat them and you would try to pull it out gently and you got stuff and you take a pen and you're just hoping that it goes back together, right? Whew. All right. And then if you wanted to find, go to the next song, it was like fast forward, play, fast forward, play. Oh, no, I've got to rewind. They'll never experience that kind of joy. This is a very technologically savvy group of, of people uh, most of them have never lived in a house that had a landline telephone. And we won't even talk about rotary phones, right? This is a group of people that can stream movies anytime they want. They will never know the joy of going to Blockbuster and trying to find that new release that there's only three copies of and everyone wants. And, and, and when they finally find it, they'll never know the joy of popping the, the tape into a VCR. They've never had to pay, pay late fees for not returning it on time. They never had to pay fees because they weren't kind and they didn't rewind, And, and, and all that stuff that, that, we, that we had to go through. This is a group of people that realistically had never had to navigate or navigate using a road atlas. Or stopping at a gas station for us to, to ask for directions. They have never had to look in the newspaper to find out what time the movie was playing. They could just, everything that I just mentioned, they can do with ease. And they can do it at a lightning speed. Now, I have five people who live in my house who are in this stage of life. I have an 8-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 15-year-old. That sounds daunting when I say that out loud. Um, But all five of of my kids are in this stage of life. And one thing that I take very, very seriously, and my wife uh, takes very, very seriously, it's our number one priority, is our responsibility as a parent. We have five little hearts that have been entrusted to us by God, And God expects us to nurture and grow and shepherd their little hearts. So we take that very, very serious in my household. Because this is a very important season of life. It is in the springtime, it is in our youth of our lives that we begin to develop our identity. It's during this stage of life we find out who we are, what our talents might be, what we're good at, what we fear, what we don't like, what our limitations are. And so I want to spend a a few minutes talking to those of you who are in the springtime of your life, but I also want to talk to parents and grandparents as well, because you too have been called to shepherd their hearts, and it doesn't stop when they turn 18 and and leave your house. And so if you're a note taker, we use a You version, and you can go to the events and see Elevate Christian Church. These notes are in here. I just want to I want to offer you three pieces of advice for for springtime living. We call this springtime advice, um, and they're very, very simple. Uh, The first one is this. During this period of our life in springtime, it is a time to dwell on our creator, to dwell on our creator. There are so many things that serve to distract us in the culture we live in right now uh, from dwelling on our creator. Uh, especially when we're young. When we're young, things are changing at a very rapid pace. Our minds are changing and growing. Um, Our opinions are being formed and rapidly changing. Our bodies undergo this massive change, ages like 12 to 16. I mean, everything is just constantly changing. And the older we get, especially into our teenage years, the more our borders expand. And when our borders expand and we get a little more freedom, uh, the more the world starts to seep in. The more voices, wrong voices, begin to permeate our minds and kind of change our views. And so that's why it's so, so important to remember our Creator at a very young age. If we're going to expect our children to center their lives around the Lord like, like we do, And if we want to instill this into them, we have to start early. Listen to what Ecclesiastes 12.1 says. Uh, Solomon writes these words. Remember also your creator when? In the days of your youth, before the evil days come. The evil days, we'll, we'll talk about this in week four. That's getting old. That's what he's calling getting old. He calls them the evil days. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the, and the years draw near in which you say, I have no pleasure in them. So Solomon says, hey, remember your creator when you're young. And this is so, so important. Um, I follow a group called the Barna Group. Um, it's a statistical analysis company. All right, And so I, w- I want to read a, a, a stat to you that should bother you. Um, it bothers me. According to the Barna Group, only 6% of adult Christians made their decision to follow Christ after the age of 18. Okay, so what that means is is that 94% of adult Christians that were surveyed made their decision to follow Christ when they were a child or when they were in the adolescent stage of life. Now, Here's what this statistic tells me, and here's why it bothers me. It tells me that if a person does not fall in love with Jesus when they're young, chances are they never will. This boggles my mind. This bothers me. And I'll tell you what else kind of, bo- kind of boggles my mind. I, I am going to step on a few toes this morning. Um, I want you to realize I'm paid to do that. Um, <laughs> But let, let me tell you something that just absolutely makes no sense to me. Parents who don't require their kids to come to church. That bothers me. And I, I've had conversations with multiple parents that say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to force them to come to church. Because if I force them to come to church when they're young, when they're old, They're just going to reject God. They're going to reject church. And so I'm just going to let them do what they want. I'm going to, they're not, I'm not going to bother. I hope when they turn 18 or 20 and they sow their wild oats, maybe they'll start coming to church. The first thing I say to them is, you don't do that with school. You don't tell your kids, well, I don't want you to not like school when you get older. So you don't have to go. You, you decide when it's time for you to go to church. I mean, that is just, that's insanity, or sports we'll tell our kids you signed up for this you're going to be at every practice you're going to be on time you're going to be at every every track meet or every soccer game or every baseball game whatever it is that you do you're going to be there at practice on time you're going to you're going to go to every game you're going to give a hundred percent because you made a commitment to this team and my question is, is what about their commitment to jesus christ because newsflash, it's highly unlikely your, your child's going pro. But it is very likely that they need Jesus Christ for eternal life. Remember your creator in your youth. When we take that mantra with our kids, well, I'm not going to make them go to church, we're feeding right into the 94%. Because they're not dwelling on their creator They're dwelling on the counterfeit things that this world has to offer. And they always let us down. So first piece of advice, dwell on your creator. Number two, during the springtime of our life, this is where we discover our identity. So childhood and adolescence is where your identity, whether good or bad, is formed. Uh, So let me give you an example. I'll I'll use myself. Um, My parents divorced before I was a year old, all right? And so the net result of that is this was the 70s, and men just didn't get custody of their children back then. So the net result is I lived with my mom. The reason they got divorced is because my mom left my dad for his army buddy. His army buddy named Jim became my stepfather. Let me back up. So when they got divorced, the net result is I saw my dad twice a month, every other weekend and he wasn't able to pour into me, right? He's a good guy. Uh, He didn't even want the divorce, no fault of his own, but he just was not able to pour into me. So my mom marries this other guy, Jim, who was my stepfather, and uh, Jim was a worldly guy. He drank a lot. I had my first beer when I was three years old. Uh, He liked to gamble, and he liked pretty women. He was not a good example. However, I loved him. I even called him dad. Well, when I was around 10 or 11, he left. And he didn't just leave my mom. He left me. He cut all ties, didn't speak to me. He was gone. Okay, well, years later, I had a second stepfather named Steve. And Steve was extremely indifferent towards me. He wasn't patient with me. And I realized, looking back, he had good reason, probably. Uh, But I I, I found out very quickly that I was just a bother, right? I was just kind of like a package deal. Well, if I want to be married to your mom, i got to put up with you. Okay, and so the net result of this with this this kind of daddy issue that I I had in my life is it began to form an identity in me at a very young age. And when I first heard the gospel, when it first penetrated my heart, I, I heard a man at the age of 14 talk about God as being this perfect, loving, heavenly father. And my thought was, yeah, right. Because I've had a very hard time grasping that concept. And so the the net result is even today, I'm always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop with God. I'm always wondering, when are you going to leave me? I'm always wondering, when are you going to grow indifferent towards me? See, it was in the springtime of my life that I developed an identity crisis that I still carry somewhat today. And to some extent, through long periods of adulthood and my adult life, Satan has used this, my own thought, my own identity, to steal my true identity in Christ away from me. And so when I start to struggle with that, and I still struggle with it, I always go to the book of Genesis. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a preacher, and you've asked me if my favorite book of the Bible. It's the whole thing, but I really love the book of Genesis. And so when I begin to feel this way, I go to Genesis 126. I don't know why this brings me so much comfort, but it does. It says this. Then God said, let us, this is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us create or make man in our own image, after our likeness. You see, I have to remind myself that my identity is in Christ. I, I am created in his image. I have to remind myself that I, like you, am fearfully and wonderfully made. I have to remind myself that I was knit together in my mother's womb, much like a lady with some crochet. He took some some DNA strands and he knit me together. He formed me just the way I'm supposed to be. You know, the world will continue to try to steal that identity from me. They'll try to steal it from you. And they'll try to steal it from our children. But we have to remind ourselves whose image we're created in. I love what John Piper, who's a preacher up up in Minnesota, said about the matter. I'm going to read this. It's It's a little bit of a lengthy quote. He says this, quote, You were created in the image of God, placed on earth to live for his glory, and he saved you. And when you finally exhale your last breath, God will bring you home to heaven where Jesus has built a heavenly room just for you. God wrote your name down in the Lamb's book of life. When Christ spilled his blood on Calvary's cross, he took the full blunt of the wrath for your sin, all of your sin. God loves you more than you can ever begin to imagine, and you are to call him Abba, Father. Yes, that's who you are. That's your true identity. See, we're very busy trying to find ourselves in the springtime of lives. The enemy wants to steal our identity. And so many people walk away from church during this period of their life. The magic age seems to be 18 years old, right? They, they walk away. Why? Because they really don't have any identity in Christ. They're just living off your borrowed faith. It's not a faith of their own. So we dwell on our creator during this time, we discover our identity, and then finally the last thing is, this is a period of life where we define our self-image, define our self-image. So I'm speaking to those of you who are in this stage of life, but I'm also speaking to all of us who have passed this stage of life, um, because I want to share an example in the Bible with you from two men, one was Paul, we all know Paul was the super apostle, um, Paul was an older man, and the other was a young man named Timothy. So, Paul was the mentor, Timothy was his protege. And in the the New Testament, Paul writes two letters to encourage Timothy, to instruct him, to teach him. Uh, And I want you to, to notice, before we get any further into the Paul and Timothy discussion, I want you to notice, parents and grandparents, the impact that Timothy's grandmother and mother had on him. We find it in 2 Timothy one five. It says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you as well. I love the fact that he mentions his grandmother first. Like, Lois, the grandmother, didn't stop investing in Timothy when he turned 18. She continued to invest in him. Listen, you guys know, most of you know my story here, but my grandfather, my dad's dad, single-handedly helped me rebuild my shattered self-image. And so if you're a grandparent in here, I'm here to encourage you and tell you your work's not done. Your work's not done. Invest in your grandchildren. Um, w- one of the couples that I, I, I love dearly at this church, and they were here at the nine o'clock hour, is Alan and Sissy McKeever. Alan is, is one of our elders. I've watched him for 20 years, be an integral part of every one of his grandchild's life. You know what's cool now is they have four great grandchildren. And Alan and Sissy are there three days a week helping helping babies, you know, changing diapers, taking kids to school. Uh, They are still pouring in to their great-grandchildren. And I love the fact that he mentions Lois. He also mentions his mother, Eunice. She also poured into Timothy. She didn't stop when he was 18. And as parents, we have to keep pouring into them. So Timothy had this great faith. He had this great image of himself. He was taught about his creator and his identity was in Christ. But he had one thing that wasn't going in his favor. He was young. He was a very young preacher. And he ran into a theme that has been around since the dawn of time. People thought that since he was young, his opinion didn't count. It didn't really matter what he thought. And I wonder, why do we do that? Why why do we write off young people as if their opinions don't matter? I mean, we always seem to look down on the generation that follows us. No one has taken more of a beating than the millennial generation. No one. We blame millennials for everything. Let me give you a case in point. Go back to last year. Remember when the country started shutting down? Like businesses started closing, school was out, churches started closing, and all you saw on the news were crowded beaches in Florida, all right? And everyone was like, look at those millennials out there on the beach. They're supposed to be wearing masks. They're going to spread this coronavirus. And, And I had conversations with people, and they were like, these millennials, these millennials. And I'm thinking, dude millennials are now in their late 30s and early 40s they're knee deep in diapers and sippy cups some of them have teenagers these aren't millennials so i am sorry to, to to the millennial crowd that that's here i don't know we blame you for everything i'm a generation x and i remember being blamed for the world's problem. Uh, you know, we were kind of a gritty, grungy, kind of a leave me alone type generation. And we got blamed for, for everything. It's, it's just human nature to blame the, the, the generation behind us. And so if you're here and you're in that stage of life, I'm sorry. Uh, it's something that we all go through and it will pass, I promise you. But I also want to encourage you don't let that stifle your self image. Don't let that stop you from dreaming and growing and serving your Lord. You matter to God just as much as the rest of us. In fact, listen to what Paul writes to Timothy. It's a very well-known passage of Scripture. 1 Timothy 4.12 says this, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and in, purity. in other words, he's saying, listen, just because you're young, don't let that bother you. Continue to grow and blossom into the man or the woman God created you to be. I don't know what kind of self-image that you have or where your identity is. I don't know how you see yourself, but I know how God sees you. He sees you as a beautiful masterpiece. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor Uh, A little group participation if you're interested. Um, I would love for you to take your cell phone out. I know many of you are using it as a Bible. And go to your camera for a second. And then invert that camera so you're seeing yourself. I see a lot of ladies do makeup like that. All right. And what I want you to do is I want, because we don't have a bunch of mirrors in here, I want you to look at yourself for a minute. Okay, and I want you to answer this question to yourself. What do you see? Just take a second and just gaze at your beauty. Or lack thereof. What do you see? Okay, now, I want you to answer a second question. What do you think God sees when he looks at you? And how different are those two images? What we need to do is to begin getting our self image to become more congruent with God's true assessment of who we are. I'm going to show you a, a picture of my daughter, Reagan. Um, Reagan is 15 years old. Uh, next month, she will be 16. Okay, and I'm biased, I, I realize that. I think she's beautiful. Um, And I think some boys are starting to think she's beautiful because they're sniffing around all over the place. Right. And, um, you know, I can feel my I can feel like, you know, time to get my guns out, all that, all those jokes that we say. Right. Um, But but, um, this is the world when they see Reagan. This is what they see. Okay. now let me show you what I see when I when I look at her. That's what I see. Next month when she drives out of my driveway for the first time in in whatever car we can afford, that's who I see pulling pulling out of the driveway. And those of you who are parents, you understand what I'm saying. They grow up like that, don't they? Now, I want you to hear me. No matter how old you are, this is how God sees you. You are his child, and he loves you more than you can even fathom. And when you're covered by the blood of Christ, he doesn't see your sins and your mistakes and your fears and your mess-ups. You know what he sees? His son or his daughter. And so, not just for the young people in here, but all of us, may we dwell on our Creator. May we understand that the God who created us loves us more than we can imagine. May we discover our identity. We were made by God, for God, with a purpose. And may we define our self-image. You are a beautiful son or daughter of Jesus, the one true King. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you, and thanks again!